bros welcome to that's deep bro serious questions with silly people i am your host christina pajitsky i uh, hope you had a good week bros i i had a good week i um i'm just getting bigger and fatter and um sweatier uh but thankfully it's cooled off in los angeles which is, is a miracle um but yeah it's been good i, I got into a new uh show <laughs> i've been watching penny dreadful which really harkens to my goth side so little binge watching there it's been fun uh, i have such a fantastic episode for you today i'm so stoked to get into this uh this is kind of a unique episode because it was generated the idea for it was generated by a listener this guy eric who wrote in who's a student and um he 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 told me about this thing called self commodification and i like i'd never heard the term for it like that and i've been going down this rabbit hole this week of uh, of self commodification and what does it mean and how does it affect people how does it impact um specifically people who grew up in it and know nothing outside of it so i have a neat surprise we're going to have eric on here he's going to skype in a bit later to tell me about what it's like growing up in a culture uh where the self is commodified because me i was born in 1976 um in, in a different time in a time where there is kind of a separation between the self and uh, and advertising, and 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 advertising was kind of mocked, and um, and things have things have changed since then. So uh, we'll get into that in a moment. All right, kittens, are you ready? Are we gonna are we gonna do it? Oh, I can't wait. All right, here we go. Let's get fired up. Let's do it. Self commodification, y'all. Let's get antisocial. dudes come on Devo Devo's the best band I was just I don't know how I got back into them I mean who didn't grow up listening to Devo when they were 13 years old and 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 are we not men like it just blew my mind dude I mean here are these kooky nerds this is like in 19 I don't know 80 I was four years old I think when Whip It came out and they played that video on MTV for Whip It you know that song uh, and it just, it blew my mind. Devo was the weirdest thing 
anyone had ever seen, I think, in, in mainstream culture, they were played on MTV. Here's here's Whip It. Oh, okay, this is the opening for it. Remember this song? Oh, shit. Okay. It's so rad, dude. It came out in, like, these black shorts and black sleeveless shirts. And they're, like, just these white nerds from Ohio. Which Ohio brings us the best music, we all know. Kim and Kelly Deal from Ohio. <laughs> and they're wearing those ridiculous hats, red hats on their head. And it was it was fantastic. <laughs> That's so stupid. Listen to that. This blew my mind, dude. I was four years old. It's so it's so oh, here we go. Now whip it. Into shape. That's so funny, and it's absurd, and there's like a cross-eyed Asian lady clapping for no reason. <laughs> oh, man. I miss the 80s. So Devo, the reason I play, I think they fit into today's topic is, um, well, a lot of reasons. I mean, okay, well, Devo is Mark Mothersbaugh and his his uh, brother Bob. I, I never knew I'm saying their last name right. Mothersbaugh? Mothersbaugh? Um, I know Mark has scored like a lot of uh, Wes Anderson movies, which I love. Um, amazing talent, dude. Uh, uh, anyway, these guys, like I said, from Ohio, came up uh, with this band called Devo, but it's actually short for devolution, de-evolution. The idea that instead of continuing to evolve, mankind has actually uh, begun to regress. Um, so they really hated the dysfunction and the herd mentality of American society, Devo. And you'll find a lot of really antisocial themes in their songs, which I, I just loved growing up. There's like Jocko Homo, where they make fun of, well, jocks, maybe having homoerotic tendencies. Uh, but that one that I played at the beginning, it's based on this old, ridiculous Burger King ad. Let me see if I can play this for you. It's so stupid. Here's this, I mean, <clears throat> I wasn't alive here. This is 1974, but I do remember them playing, I do remember there being retarded ads like for Burger King and McDonald's. Here, Here's just a little, this is this is the direct reference that that song, uh, Parent, Too Much Paranoia, is, is referring to. So here's here's the ridiculous Burger King commercial. Have it your way. Oh, it's so evil already. Oh, that's a family, a nice white family going into Burger King. May I help you, oh. sir? Two Whoppers, two Whopper Juniors, and four Coca-Cola. And would I have to wait long if you made one Whopper with no pickle and no lettuce? Uh, no, sir. Um. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve oh, it your boy, way. How happy she is. Well, in that case, could oh. I have the other whopper with extra ketchup? Well, sure. wait a minute. Now the ladies got demands. I don't know about this. I mean, it's one thing if the man of the house makes demands, but a little lady. <laughs> Come on, sister. <laughs> okay. I know it's women's lib, but extra ketchup, you don't deserve it. We can serve your broken oh my God, so... fresh with everything on top <laughs> so... anyway, You get the picture. It's... it's fucking evil apparently in the 70s um the thought of customizing your food was like super foreign 
and they had to have commercials where um, the uh, the white people sing to each other about it. It's so amazing. <laughs> Could you imagine having to fucking <laughs> to play the part of like the the Burger King employee who's just so stoked to serve you? She's singing. She's so stoked. Her teeth are so white. And so perfect, which back in the day, that was a huge commodity. People, I don't think people got braces yet. You had nice teeth. Boy, you're lucky as shit. Just be born that way. That's why beauty was such a big deal in the 70s and the 80s. They didn't, plastic surgery didn't come along until the 80s, I think. People have started getting boob jobs, but then they all died from them because they were made of, I think, saline that leaked into their bodies or some harmful chemical those boob bags were made of. And women were dying of breast cancer because of it. Uh, but yeah, before then, if you had big naturals and nice teeth, man, people went nuts for you, you know? And that's why, uh, people like Farrah Fawcett and Brooke Shields are like, oh, they blew your mind. Now you're like, come on, those are standard hotties. But back in the day, that was a real talent to be good looking. That was some, that was some major shit. But the reason I bring up this Burger King ad and Devo, Devolution, is because I think in the 80s, in the 70s, in the 60s, in the 50s, advertising was something separate from our real lives. Um, There were jingles that we all learned, like that retarded song that I just played. Hold the pickles, hold the... Whatever. Everybody knew that song back then, right? And the filet fish song at McDonald's later. but, But you knew that advertising wasn't real. You knew that... It was seeking to manipulate you on some level um, that it was something to kind of be mocked. And, and I think that's what Devo, why, why Devo was so fantastic is like those guys were shitting on the stuff that, you know, we all kind of knew was kind of evil, kind of shitty. Um, you know, we all knew we all knew that Brooke Shields didn't live in her Calvin Klein jeans, even though that's what she said in the commercial. Right. We all knew that the Coke versus Pepsi war wasn't a real battle, <laughs> right? <laughs> Nobody internalized those messages nearly as much. In fact, it was cool to, like, mock the McDonald's uh, or the, the Burger Kings of the world. It was cool because they were the corporate man, right? Remember when in the 80s and, and people were like, oh, McDonald's supports apartheid. You can't do that. Coca-Cola supports apartheid. So, um, yeah, people, people kind of hated the man. And um, they, we, were, we were consciously aware that there was an us versus them mentality to advertising, right? Um, we knew that there was a game being played and that we weren't going to fall for it, you know? Um, it was something outside of ourselves, something to be skeptical about. The corporation, advertising, all that stuff was kind of seen as the enemy and something to be mocked. <laughs> you know, and I and I I do remember growing up in a lot of k- girls specifically getting eating disorders because of these models that were on television because of the Brooke Shields and the Farrah Fawcett's of the world um, being perfect and you know um, the Alyssa Milano's and the who else was the big one oh Nicole Eggert on you know Charles in Charge or fucking. I don't know, these 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 big 80s hotties. Oh, the Charlie's Angels, they were so skinny. And, and so many girls had eating disorders. That was the big thing in the 80s, is everybody was bulimic or anorexic. Um, 
because that was kind of what was being pumped to us was like to be the perfect California blonde, right? Everybody wanted to be a California blonde, but, but there was an awareness that that wasn't real, a very, 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 very deep awareness and, and a constant reminder to the kids watching that, hey, that's not, you know, Farrah, not everybody looks like Farrah. You're not going to look like her and that's okay. You're not going to look like Brooke Shields and that's okay. And guess what? Brooke Shields eats her boogers. Did you know that? She does. And I know this because we, um, my family, my, my husband and I are huge fans of Lazy Boys. I just purchased one uh, for my, my child's room. And um, she's a spokesperson for Lazy Boy, which, <laughs> let's be honest, she's a model. She ain't lounging. She ain't like me. She's not pushing 200 pounds right now, laying on her couch eating, uh, you know, Western bacon cheeseburgers. All right. This bitch doesn't know the life of leisure that I know. But I walked in and I saw Brooke on a poster at the Lazy Boy. And my husband goes, yeah, she picks her nose. She did it in public. There's pictures of it. And she eats it. I'm not going to fault the bitch for that. You know, I used to do the same thing when I was a kid. Uh, models got to eat. So, uh, anyway, people, she wasn't the California blonde. I shouldn't say Brooke Shields wasn't. But Farrah Fawcett certainly was. Nicole Eggert certainly was. Um, who is another one? Oh my god, who is that? I can't remember her name now. Fuck, hold on. Oh, I was thinking of Christy McNichol. Everybody wanted to be her. She was she was on some show, um, Empty Nest or something. I don't know, but she wasn't blonde either. The point is, there are all these people to look up to, uh, and there was also a strong counter movement so that people didn't get sucked into the lure of the bullshit machine that is advertising and uh, in show business. Um, there was kind of a vigilant movement to keep us sane from these images. Uh, you know, there was things like Seventeen Magazine. There was Sassy Magazine. I don't know if you remember that, girls? Any of you grew up reading Sassy? That was really cool. And, that, and Sassy would explain to you why, like, models aren't real and that's an unrealistic body type and why advertising is kind of bullshit. Uh, there was Riot Girl. There was zines. People were making zines. And so there was like pockets of reality to dip into when we felt slighted by advertising or by consumerism. And there is a direct mockery of consumerism. But I think now reality and the image are becoming so intertwined, it's kind of hard to see your way out of it. Um consumerism has kind of become more ingrained in our lives. Like people don't talk shit to you anymore for wanting to have stuff. Uh, I think there was more of a counterculture movement in the 80s, not in the 80s, certainly, but um, in the 90s anyways. You're kind of seen as being a turd if you were like um, openly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Materialistic or openly, um, you know, wanting stuff or ambitious. That's the word I'm looking for. You know, people people kind of shit on you. If you were like, oh, I want a fucking big house and I want a Ferrari. You're like, all right, you know, midlife crisis ponytail guy. Cool. Um, but I think what happened is branding and advertising somehow became rebellious and cool. And it, it made it a way for people to define themselves by what they buy. Um, here's this Matthew McConaughey at see like this is an example of it I played this uh, I don't know 
on a few episodes back. It's, it's so here's Matthew McConaughey. Matthew we all love Matthew McConaughey. I mean, he's adorable, and he's he's doing ads for Lincoln, right? But it's not just a straight like corny ass ad from the '60s or '70s where he's like, "I love a Lincoln. I drive it." The viewer is supposed to infer that Matthew McConaughey really, really drives Lincoln's. It's part of his life. It's who he is, and he's he's defining himself with this brand. And therefore, if you want to be like Matthew, if you want to be kind of rebellious but hot, um, you know, you should definitely drive a Lincoln. See, listen, and, and advertising is really incipient here. L- listen to the how how they do it. It's, it's really good. Lincoln tips. Long before anybody paid me to drive one. I didn't do it to be cool. I didn't do it to make a statement. I just liked it. So weird. So he's saying, like, you know, I I <laughs> they I was driving a Lincoln long before they asked me to drive a Lincoln. I just liked it. I didn't do it to be cool. I didn't do it to be awesome. Like, yeah, you did. Yeah, whatever. Point is. It's confusing. It's confusing, and it's uh, what is it doing to society? Because something has changed. Branding has turned into a way of uh, of us identifying ourselves. You know, branding has become about rebellion. It's actually replaced rebellion, right? When you think about public figures, people like my beloved Richard Branson. I love Richard Branson. He, I like what he stands for mostly, um, but Richard Branson is a genius in that he's portraying himself. If you know who he is, he's a he's a billionaire. He started Virgin Records as well as Virgin Air, which is the best goddamn airline in the world. And I can't wait for him to destroy the Deltas and the American Airlines of the world because it, it, they're the worst. And he's he's fantastic. But anyway, um. You know, he markets himself as the rebel billionaire, Richard Branson. He's a maverick, a rebel. He's doing things differently. Like, well, no, he's not really. No, he's not. <laughs> he's just another white guy that owns a ton of shit. He's making a lot of money. He's a businessman and, and you know, probably does sh- the same shady shit that every other businessman does. Like, he's no different. But it's the branding and the positioning that makes him seem like he's the people's billionaire, right? Like somehow, for some reason, I like him. I don't think of him as a selfless, soulless, scumbag, corporate piece of shit. I see him as like, oh, he's like kind of a nice European guy, right? He likes to jet ski with models wrapped around him, and uh, he's a he likes cool music. He's nice. He's a shithead, like all, every one of us is. He's just a fucking other dude. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So... I grew up in kind of both worlds, right? I grew up in the world of uh, advertising was in this other world, and there was a reality world. Um, And I also spent, like, let's say, from my 20s on in this hyper-real world that is now what we know as the Internet, right? And I um, 
that's kind of interesting because I was kind of at the beginning of the hyper real, right? I was at the beginning of blurring lines between reality and unreality because I was on a fucking reality show. I was on Road Rules in 1990, I don't even know what it is now, seven or eight, right? So I was kind of at the beginning of that whole blending and it felt fucking weird. And I remember back in the day, back when they filmed the road rules in the real world, they those shows were actual reality shows. They filmed the real world for five months. They would l- literally have the cameras on you 24-7, and it was someone's job to kind of glean what was happening with everybody. And it was, it was, I hate to say it, real. It really was. It's not now. Now, you know, they shoot... <laughs> I don't know, two weeks and they write scripts and they force people to do and say things that they normally wouldn't and it's so fucking overproduced, it sucks. But back then, that was the definition of blurring reality and advertising, reality and the image. And I remember coming off of of doing that show for like two months of being surveilled and and them asking you questions about what you had said to so-and-so and you know, because they film you for a few days and then you have these interviews where they sit you in a chair and then some guy has everything you've said in the last two weeks recorded and they talk to you and ask you questions about your life in a weird way back then. So I was really fucked up when I came up, when I came off of Road Rules because I didn't know what 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 was what. You know, you you get used to your life being filmed and then all of a sudden you're <laughs> you're in an unsurveilled world. Again, the real world. Hmm. Anyways, now I think we're in the surveilled world constantly. Literally. Um, you can't go out into the streets. A lot of the streets have cameras on them, right? In London, I know, um, all those streets are surveilled. The Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebooking, the I have a relative, I have a relative who's mad at me because I refuse to put um, a sonogram picture of my unborn child on the internet. I fucking refuse. Hey, my kid didn't ask to be put on the web. My kid didn't ask for a digital footprint. Let him decide when he's old enough. But the idea that I should automatically want to share everything and, and that it's expected of me now is really, really, I think, insidious and really scary. Because it's like, well, that is the real now. That's the, the new norm. You, you should want to post a very personal picture of the inner contents of your uterus to the, to the world. I'm entitled to see that part of you. And quite frankly, no, you're fucking not. Uh, you know, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so there you go. So I, I feel like as a person of, um, I don't know what I am. Am I an Xer? I think I'm um, borderline Gen X, Gen Yer. I'm somewhere there. And... Um, I am having a hard time assimilating these two worlds. The world that I grew up in, which was let's mock the man, let's uh, make fun of Burger King, and the second world where the advertising is so ingrained, where the image is so confused, where the Instagram is real, that it's confusing. So I don't know if you heard about this girl, Asena O'Neill. She's this gorgeous um, Australian girl, beautiful, blonde, perfect girl, and she had over, let's see, half a million followers on Instagram. She had 200,000 on YouTube and Tumblr. 
and 60,000 people on Snapchat. So she was really, really popular. She's an 18-year-old girl. Um, and she just decided to up and quit her social media. And uh, so it was interesting. Someone sent me this article. I thought, oh, how timely. So she posted a YouTube video explaining her decision. And she took down um, 2,000 Instagram photos last week. And she renamed her account to Social Media Is Not Real Life. She even edited the captions on photos she kept to reflect the truth of what happened behind the image, which is interesting because if you do look at her, she started another thing. Let's Be Game Changers is a different website that she started where she actually tells you what went into making that image of herself that day. So she would do things like starve herself for a day in order to look skinny enough for a photo or... You know, if she's in a bikini on the beach and she looks perfect, she's like, that took, you know, hours. And I would use multiple filters. Um, so here, yeah. So she's she apparently kind of had a bit of a, a, a breakthrough in her, in her uh, development as a human and was like, you know what? This shit's not real life. Here, this is a quote from her. Social media, especially how I used it, isn't real. It's contrived images and edited clips ranked against each other. It's a system based on social approval, likes, validation in views, success in followers. It's perfectly orchestrated, self-absorbed judgment. I was consumed by it. Wow. I spent hours watching perfect girls online wishing I was them. Then when I was one of them, I still wasn't happy, content, or at peace with myself interesting so now she's launching another website called let's be game changers where she hopes to continue to educate people about the destructive nature of trying to gain approval online that's interesting she says i know you don't come into this world just wanting to fit in and get by you are reading this now because you are a game changer you might not know your power yet i'm just finding mine but man when you do far out it'll go crazy it's brilliant that's great so here she is she's really um i found this to be really kind of sad because she is this like gorgeous girl and, and you look at her photos and you're like wow what could possibly be wrong with her <laughs> her life <laughs> so but this is her this is her talking it's really it's kind of hard to even listen to because you can sense the emotion in her voice like she is just fucking over it all right here she is Anessa O'Neill. there's so much i want to say and there's so many topics that i want to cover i have an insight into a world of social media that i believe not many people are aware of in terms of how it works in advertisements how i know a lot of other social media personalities and just how fake it all is and i say fake because i don't think anyone has bad intentions i just think they're caught up in it like i was i have a whole career built around social media what I'm doing scares the absolute fuck out of me. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen next. I have no idea how I'm going to make money. And yeah, last night I got really, really scared because I was like, holy shit, I have all these messages, but how are people going to hear them? But then I reminded myself very clearly why I'm doing this. Taking myself off social media is a wake-up call to anyone and everyone who follows me. I had the dream life. I had half a million people interested in me on social media, on Instagram, sorry. I had over 100,000 views on most of my videos on YouTube. To a lot of people, I made it. I was signed with, I still am technically signed with, and I don't want to model at all anymore, but I'm signed with one of the biggest agencies in Australia. I had one of the biggest agencies in America want to sign me for modeling and for my YouTube. I had 
messages and messages of big companies, brands, sponsorships on my hands. And I was in LA and I was at a pinnacle of success in what I thought it was. I was dating a guy that was way more famous, famous than me, way more successful, had an amazing car, beautiful beyond words. And he was fucking depressed. And I was like, what? You yeah. had everything. I was surrounded by all this wealth and all this fame and all this power. And yet, they were all miserable. And I had never been more miserable. I'm the girl that had it all. And I want to tell you that having it all on social media means absolutely nothing to your real life. And Ooh, how about that? Yeah, girl. Is that all there is? <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at her, but it's like... Well, yeah, dude, none of that shit fucking matters. That's why it feels shitty. That's why it sucks. And I think it's, I mean, I'm good for her. I'm really happy for her that she's found um, herself in all of this. Because it really is, it is insidious and it is sad. But I find it really um, interesting. She, she refers to being popular on social media as the, quote, dream life, which is... That's the part that I think I don't understand. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little alarming. Like That's the dream life, is to have um, a lot of people liking your shit. And yeah, I guess being hot. I mean, who doesn't want to be a model? I guess it's hot. But wow. Anyways, um, that's it's good for her. I'm glad that she's out. I'm glad that she's... I, ho I hope she finds another way uh, to do it. But it is it is cool that she's kind of come out and say that because it's like, yeah, I, you know, it's not all perfect. I think that's my problem with social media. It's such fucking dog shit. I mean, you know, nobody's life is as perfect as we portray ourselves to be on social media. There needs to be an anti-Instagram Instagram where it's like you're not allowed to put a filter on any of your photos. Um, it's not about you being popular and with your friends. You have to take every picture alone with no makeup in your saddest position um yeah it's like for me it'd be just me on the couch uh with food wrappers everywhere just two dogs me and the two dogs i'm on my fifth um straight episode of homeland or penny dreadful um i've got food stains on my shirt and i haven't showered in two days and that's my selfie that's my anti-instagram i'm not saying that social media is inherently evil it's not it's just how, how it's being used, just like anything else, right? <sighs> this poor girl. Anyway, so Eric, my buddy Eric, uh, if you remember, he's the one that actually prompted me down this rabbit hole of self-commodification. And just to give you a refresher, he's a student. Uh, he's a young guy. And he said that, excuse me, the reason people resonate with Tyler Oakley and these beautiful um, Asena people is that they you know if you grow up with the internet you're unable to distinguish between reality and false reality of the internet and so actual social relationships are primarily rooted in a false reality and it's complex and frustrating and dissatisfying for many people so that was really interesting and he sent me an article called the commodification of self by joseph e davis who is a research assistant professor of sociology at the university of virginia and he kind of explains the, um, the evolution, the devolution <laughs> of, of, of consumerism and um, 
And how, how did we get here? How do we start self-commodifying? And it starts with, he starts with a premise that back in the day, you know, you defined yourself by your relationships to the institution, right? To the old organizations, to the church, um, to your family unit. You identified with things like, uh, I am a mother, I am this and that, I am a father, I am... I am a member of the Elks Club. Um, and that was kind of like in the 50s, right? Where you kind of knew your place. But the problem with the 50s is that, well, it was socially oppressive. You couldn't be a homosexual. You couldn't, as a woman, have even a bank account without the consent of your husband. And a lot of people felt really oppressed by these roles. And so came the 60s and the 70s and the me generation. That's right. The people that raised me were selfish fucking turds. So in the 60s and the 70s, people got sick and tired of being um, regulated, of being, of being oppressed by these societal norms. And so you had, you had people listening to their inner voice and acting on you know, their own feelings and stuff. Um, and what happened with consumerism is that... <laughs> what happened was things like Tommy Hilfiger and all these brands, um, they didn't produce products. What happened in the 80s is that they produced images. And a brand became a crafted image, right? Um, so here, here's what it says. An interview in Business Magazine, Fast Company. A quote, great brand is an emotional connection point that transcends the product Myth-like, it is an evolving metaphorical story that creates the emotional context people need to locate themselves in a larger experience. So it's not just that you get, you get a Tommy Hilfiger shirt because it fits well. It's because now you identify yourself um, with the properties, with the, the branding elements of such a thing. And, and actual um, rebellion or liberation doesn't take place in the real world. It takes place in products. Right, the product becomes an instrument of your personal liberation. I buy a Tommy Hilfiger shirt, and I'm telling, you know, people that I am this independent spirit, um, and everything becomes about self-actualization. So, like I said, it's it's about identifying with what the brand means now, not not just what the product does. Right, it's not just special order at Burger King that you can have it your way. It's Burger King is this rebellious brand or Burger King is whatever brand that's going to make me feel a certain way. And I identify with it. That's how I see myself. I don't identify myself within the context of, um, you know, my relationships with others. It is with consumerism and even with spirituality, right? Like even in the eighties, that was huge. Um, these self-help gurus and especially now even with like the secret and there's a lot of New age gurus will charge you thousands of dollars for for, uh, for the commodification of spirituality, which is so crazy. Yeah. Okay. So what's even more incipient is that by the '90s, um, these fucking evil pieces of shit. Here's Tom Peters, new economy guru, and the author of the story explains: We are CEOs of our own company, Me Inc. To be in business today, our most important job is head is head marketer for the brand called you. So by 1997, the brand called you replaces 
the person. You're not a worker. You're not somebody who does a job and then clocks out. You are the thing. You are. <laughs> you embody what it is to be a worker. You, know, you don't just provide work, which is really fucking terrifying. So people got into self-branding, which makes me want to barf. To self-brand, individuals must get in touch with their skills, the, quote, selling parts of their personality and any and every accomplishment they can take credit for. <laughs> that was so fucking horrifying. Um, and what happens with you being your own brand and let's say you having your Instagram account um, with millions of people is that... Um, hold on. Well, the, the whole thinking of being your own brand is that it, if we treat ourselves in the same terms, I think that they're trying to say, like, if you if you brand yourself, right, this whole idea that you're escaping corporate culture, I'm my own brand. Well, now it's kind of more insidious and it's kind of even grosser now because now to be successful at the whole me ink thing, um, we have to treat other people because, because right, right. Anyway. Okay. Like see, Mark said in the uh, system of the economy, you're exchanging goods, right? It's an exchange value of goods. But when the self becomes the exchange value of goods, that's really sad. And that's really scary. And things become really impersonal and really gross because you're always in a state of self, like relentless self-promotion, right? And even if you try to do it in a natural way without appearing to be self-absorbed or self-aggrandizing, which is what Tom Peters recommends, um, you know, you reduce the human being to being a controlled and uh, it's, like, it's like, you know, a very utilitarian way of relating to other people. You're objectifying other people, which is the central tenet of show business. But now everybody's in show business. <laughs> it's very sad. Um, you know, it turns yourself into being a CEO of you, which I think is kind of what happened to this this beautiful Australian girl. I think that's what she's trying to put her finger on, is that it somehow demeaned her as a person. And... Of course, because you are the brand, right? And what does that mean? That you're constantly in the mode of branding, of being, of using others, of of bullshitting everybody around you. Whew. And then I can see how the guys like Tyler Oakley come along and, you know, being himself, that's what his whole thing is. Like, I'm just being myself. That's his brand. Because the self doesn't fucking exist anymore. Whew. That's deep, bro. That's really deep, bro. How scary is that? The very self becomes commodified and becomes a brand. Yikes. And now everybody, not everybody, but I think today uh, the dream life, as Asena says, is to have millions and millions of people liking your stuff all the time. That's the goal. That's the dream. And how scary is that? So I have an actual millennial... <laughs> I'm going to talk to about this phenomenon and what is it like to grow up in the vacuum of self-commodification to not know anything different? I imagine it's very lonely and I imagine it's very surreal, but maybe there's good stuff. Maybe there's stuff I don't know about. So we're going to talk to Eric and figure it out.
I have with me an actual real life millennial. I can't believe it. <laughs> Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here. <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited to be talking uh, to an actual millennial person. So, like, I, you didn't hear the first half of the show. How could you? I just recorded it by myself. But you and I have been going back and forth uh, via email, and you sent me this great article. Thank you so much. And you actually sent me the email that sparked this entire topic, the idea of self-commodification. So what's it like growing up in an era where that's all you've ever known? It's pretty w- weird. I mean, I don't know anything else, really, I guess, um, growing up in it. Um, yeah, it's kind of uh, Orwellian yeah. in a way. Yeah, I imagine, like, you. do you feel like you have to be a certain way, or are you afraid of, of fucking up? Are you afraid of saying the wrong thing? Not really. I mean... Just because I know that's how I get with social media, I'm very self-conscious on it. Like, I, on Twitter and crap. Yeah, I guess um, mostly the way I've dealt with it is I, I don't really... I'm not really involved on social media at all. Um, so I kind of just stay out of it, really. It's smart. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of my natural reaction to the whole, the whole thing. So you've actually opted out as a millennial. Yeah, I guess, I guess you could say that. Whoa, and do your friends give you a lot of shit for that? Like, I have a cousin right now who's super upset with me because I refuse to put, uh, ultrasound pictures of my unborn baby on Facebook, (laughs) and I'm getting a lot of heat. Yeah, <clears throat> that's so unnecessary, though, right? It feels excessive. It's yeah. ridiculous, especially because the, the government watches Facebook, and that's <laughs> we don't want that. But do you get shit from your friends? Like, hey, Eric, we you know you're at this party. Why don't you put the pictures up? Or I don't know. Um, well, in high school, like when I was going to high school, is when Facebook started getting really big, and. Uh, it was, I just kind of decided, like, people started telling me around, I guess, probably, like, 2007 or whatever, like, oh, you need to, you need to get a Facebook, and, you know, we talk on Facebook and stuff, and I just, like, wasn't interested, and then it's, it kind of, um, the way that went for me in high school was kind of, like, if you're not on social media, you don't really exist, in a way. Yeah, right. It's kind of, like, people don't really know that you're even there if you're, if you're not on, on, you know, social media. Which can be great in high school. Yeah, it was, it was nice, actually. I, mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any regrets about it. Um, that's interesting because I was talking to a millennial at the comedy store, and he was saying how the social media, like the whole reason it's important to have tons of friends and likes is because that's kind of your currency when you're a younger person. Like, you don't yeah. have money, so yeah. a million likes is worth its weight in gold. Yeah, it's, that's a good point. I guess it is. It is kind of like currency. It's it's all you have when you're, you know, 17 and you don't have anything else going on. Yeah, it's a fucking bummer. <laughs> <laughs> it really it so, kind of is, yeah. So I have this email from Samantha. I'm going to read it, and then you tell me if you relate to this, because I know if I read this email and I don't have a representative of the generation from which I speak... I'm going to get heaps of shit. So 
Hold on. Let me find this. Samantha writes, and I'm just going to read part of it because it's a great email. Thanks for writing this, Samantha. Uh, she goes, uh, so, so she's referring to this Tyler Oakley phenomenon, uh, which I never fucking understood. Um, she writes that she tends to blame parents for generational behavior. Most of the millennials have early Xer parents. Ah, shit. That's me. X <laughs> people. Whose distrust of the system morphed into overparenting and not letting kids get out and experience life. Stranger danger got taken to the nth degree. Ridiculous safety equipment is strapped on. No shit. Did you have to wear a helmet to ride a bicycle? I never learned how to ride a bike. What? Isn't that fucking weird? <laughs> Who raised you? We got to talk about your know. childhood. <laughs> Uh, ridiculous safety equipment and many parents are hypochondriacs about their children. This led to a generation of indoor kids who never got out and roamed the neighborhood playing with other kids, learning how to problem solve and be independent. There also always seems to be an adult present. There are rarely latchkey kids anymore. Do you know what that is, latchkey kid, Eric? Yeah. Okay. I was a latchkey kid. And the coinciding rise of video games and internet played right into the new indoor lifestyle. Also, because they are used to being monitored at all times by someone else, the concept of personal privacy isn't as important to them, hence the oversharing online. Oh, I vague. Plus, kids getting pushed into after-school activities. So the one act of rebellion is, uh, is to dare to be you, right? That Tyler, Tyler I almost said Tyler Perry, Tyler Oakley <laughs> uh, horse shit that he's really being himself, which I don't really think he's being himself. Um, yeah. So it's a big deal when when a, when a millennial does get to be him or herself because they're so constrained. Do you agree with that characterization? <clears throat> yeah, I think I think she makes a lot of really good points. Um, it's there is a lot of uh, overemphasis on safety and you know uh, germs and things like that. Um, that it makes me think of like. Uh, George Carlin talked about it a lot in his, in his later material yeah. about all the, the kids and parents, all that type of stuff, um, you know, about how, like, parents aren't letting their kids uh, just be kids, basically, like, oh, yeah. go outside and just do whatever kids do, you know? Well, you know why these horseshit peanut allergies came into existence? It's because uh, kids are too hygienic. I swear to God, I was just reading about it today. I'm like, when the fuck did yeah. peanuts become this lethal enemy? Uh, it's because everything's so sterile and the kids' immune systems can't handle allergy. They, they can't... Yeah. So now they have, everybody has a fucking peanut allergy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because they're over-sanitized. That's so crazy to me. <laughs> so do you feel it, though? I mean, or it just seems normal to you, I guess. It's... Uh... Yeah, I mean it's there. It's like a it's subtle, but it's like a constant. It's constantly there, you know. Safety. Uh, yeah, you know, just all all of those aspects. The whole it all goes together. The uh, you know this the overemphasis on those type on safety and germs and uh, I don't know commodification. Just you know we're becoming such a neurotic you know society with with i don't know our all this anxiety that we that we make for ourselves yeah i think that's a great characterization the anxiety because most of the emails i get from people are telling me how depressed and full of anxiety they are 
and I, there's something to it. There's something. There's something going on, and and I think part of it is that we're not relating to each other as humans. Yeah, yeah. You you said it before, but uh, but yeah, I thought you put it really well. You you just said that uh, you know, these types of things. It's just uh, people not being able to form actual relationships is the breakdown of our society. So. And yeah. and even the dating world, like it's crazy because my husband and I started dating when like Friendster <laughs> came out. <laughs> so we never got I never dated on the internet. But you can just go to like an app Yeah. And just fuck somebody if and, I wanted to, right? <laughs> yeah. And you don't even have to call that person or court them or take them for coffee. Like It's so weird. Does that blow your mind as much as it's blowing mine or is that just normal? <laughs> I mean, it's such a strange... I feel like I kind of have an outside perspective on the whole, on all of this um, technology and social media and stuff because um, just growing up in uh, the country, basically, I actually didn't have... Um, I actually had dial-up internet until I was like uh, 20. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... You poor soul. I'm, <laughs> I actually feel really bad for you. So, yeah, I kind of... Um, like, I'm, I'm... Technically, I'm part of the millennial generation, but I feel like I kind of have an outside perspective of it. So, I, so I'm just as confused as you, I guess, about a lot of these things. You know what you're like? Did you see all the Matrix movies? I saw the, only the first one. Well, you're like um, those people that are born outside of the Matrix. <laughs> like, there's a group of kids that are born in the Earth's core, and that's who you are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit. You're in it, but you're not of it. Kind of, yeah. Well, that's the way to be. Good for you, Eric. Um, safety. So, wait. Oh, I wanted to ask you this. Why is everybody so offended? I feel like um, your generation's... Particularly, like, for instance, uh, when I was growing up and my dad would say racist things, which all dads do because everybody's dad is racist. And my dad would be like, you know, Jews are smelly and women can't read. I would just kind of go, oh, that's funny. Like, you're just a stupid old man. And I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't take to Twitter and I wouldn't try to get my dad fired from a job. And I wouldn't try, like, I wouldn't vlog about the inappropriateness. Yeah. I would just fucking use my brain and go, that was, that was stupid of him. So what, I don't know if I can blame you guys for this, but do you feel that sensitivity too? Like what is happening? I absolutely don't feel it at all. Cause I mean, um, <laughs> well, I'm a really big fan of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Like really <laughs> comedy that I guess people consider offensive nowadays. Like, you know, George Carlin and Bill Hicks and all those oh, really great comedians. Um, and I don't know, it's just, I've always just thought of it as like words and uh, it's, it's your, it's your decision to be offended when someone else says something, mm -hmm. you know? I agree. Um, they teach that. you that horse shit in school now. I feel like, you know, there's no more Columbus day. We know that. Oh, you know what it is that, uh, um, I think the, why people get offended yeah. so much, um, nowadays, by all these inconsequential things is that uh, it goes along with uh, what we were uh, what we were discussing before, which is the idea of uh, image that mm. that people have to present um, on the internet. They have to present a certain image of themselves that they want to 
whichever way uh, they feel it's going to draw attention to themselves, hmm. right? Because people want to be paid attention to. Of course, natural, which is a natural inclination. Yeah. Um, and so the, it's not that people are actually offended. It's that they hmm. use these, um, these things to, uh, as an excuse to uh, be outraged and that gives them a platform to speak on. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, it, it gives them a platform to speak on. Yeah, it's like an so identity, that, right? Yeah, to to kind of build an image around yourself. Like I'm the, you know, I'm this PC liberal person who has these views, and that's like what you identify as, you know? Right. It's like co-opting someone else's fight and making it yours. Yeah. So like, yeah, exactly. You have some shit to say on Twitter. Uh, but the pro- unfortunately, it's actually fucking up people's lives. It's actually, um, like, we just had a comedian friend, Steve Renazizi, had his sponsorships taken away for a stupid story that he told about 9-11. And in my opinion, hurt nobody. He didn't profit off of it. But people were so outraged because of the subject matter of a, of a guy's story. Well, thank you yeah. so much um, for for emailing me and for sending me that article and for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah yeah no problem all right man go back to getting you know i'm sure what whatever you kids are doing in college is getting hammered and so there you have it an interview with an actual real live millennial and uh apparently mr eric is outside of (laughs) all this stuff we're talking about which is probably why he emailed me um so if you're someone who's into social media and knows all this crap who should i be listening to Tell me. Who should I be watching? Tell me. Um, yeah. And I think that's a really interesting idea, Samantha, about about uh, the Gen Xers actually creating these insulated, uh, nervous, peanut allergied, uh, overly cautious, overly protected generation. I feel so bad. I feel so bad for them. Um, and I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying not to do that shit to my kid. Um, I heard you can get arrested now or you get in trouble with child services for even letting your kid walk to the park alone. Um, My friend told me that you have to put a sign on your child that says, free range kid, I'm allowed to be alone. (laughs) I don't know what the world's... Ironically, the world is safer than it's outside. It's safe. But um, for some reason, it doesn't feel that way. You know, it's funny. My parents told me the the world is a a very scary, terrible place. And I got to tell you, I've traveled a lot of the world uh, as, as a woman alone. I've been to Afghanistan. I've been to Cleveland. I've been to Iowa. And I've, you know, knock on wood, I've had nothing horrible happen to me. So who knows what that danger is. So thank you, Eric. Thank you, Samantha, for writing. And thank you to everybody who ever writes in on this show. I really kind of, this show's morphing into something cool now where we're co-creating a podcast. I love the idea of um, of taking your suggestions and taking your emails and let's try to uh, let's try to use this medium, the social media, for something other than uh, narcissism and vanity. Let's try to fucking let's do something cool here with that, Steve Bro. Is that is that earnest enough for you? It was. So let's try to close it on something not as earnest. This is my one of my favorite songs. Um, it's called "Let's Get Social." It's been featured on on your mom's house <laughs> and it's from a horrible soul-sucking um, um degrading uh 
seminar that these poor human beings had to attend called the Continuum Marketing Services. They, they held a, some sort of hor- horrific event that these poor employees had to attend. And this wonderful girl named Mary McCoy has to sing a song about getting social. Um, so yeah, here it is. Let's get social, guys. But in our case, let's get antisocial. Yeah. Stand up right now. Take out your phones. Take a selfie with your neighbor. It's time to get social. another deal said another way that we lost our way socials about the people remember we are people do we really need another like fan or share do we need another post to show up everywhere i hope as we scatter that we never forget that our posts live forever even when we go to bed so connect with me let's have some fun let's show the world
Philosophize with Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.